Welcome to Sounds Like, the podcast brought to you by the horse's mouth. We explore how brands connect with their audiences through audio, hosting conversations between industry leaders and creators who have consistently forged authentic relationships with their clients and communities. No fluff, no filter, straight from the horse's mouth. Welcome and thanks for listening in. Today I'm lucky enough to have an extraordinary conversation with Ina V and Howard Lip, who are sacred musicians, spiritual guides and teachers, crafting medicine music and deepening presence within community and beyond. They're integrative guides with psychedelics, entheogens and consciousness on the road to remembrance. For the past 20 years, they've been making music and facilitating transpersonal, transformational retreats and workshops. After hundreds of experiences and thousands of conversations with participants before and after the experience, they discovered their purpose and truth to support those seeking their authentic self and inherent divinity. They do this through their community, their non-profit Kiala Rafana and beyond. Their latest album, Sono Ceremonia, is available to download now. Welcome, Ina and Howard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to see you, Mike. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mike. It's so good to be here. Always amazing to talk to you guys. And for the benefit of our audience, please let us know where you are, what time it is, and how's the weather. (laughs) It's... 10 30 in the morning we are in ventura california and actually it's quite an unusual weather for us it's cold and rainy and cloudy (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad to hear that it's not just in britain that you get that kind of weather right although i've got to say we've had sunshine today so i'm delighted to have you on as two rays of sunshine in my life we're going to just get straight in and start talking about you, your work, your journey, um, the incredible community that you've built. Um, You've both been on your own journeys and have joined together on this path of music, meditation, and dare I say medicine. Maybe you could both give us a little intro to the path that um, you've taken to reach each other. Uh, and to get to this point, maybe Ina, you can kick off. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction, by the way. And thank you. Um, yeah, it's so <clears throat> wonderful to speak about our journey. Um, it's been quite a journey filled with so many twists and turns. I was raised in a fundamentalist evangelical religious home uh, from the time I was born until the time I graduated from my undergrad degree um, and went to Christian schools, had Bible studies every morning. I was speaking in tongues from a very young age, probably five or six years old, um, and didn't think anything of it, really. And then uh, went to Hawaii after I graduated and a dear friend from our church, uh, they his family hosted me when I got there and after talking about my future plans and how my relationship was with the church, etc., he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Ina, what if it's all a lie? 
And I had these huge crocodile tears coming down my face because in that moment, as Leonard Cohen says, there's a crack in everything. There's a crack where the light gets in. That moment was the crack for me and sent me on a an odyssey of now 25 years of healing, leaving my religion, leaving my family, walking away from a community that is still intact. My, my family, my parents are friends with people for 60 plus years. My parents have, are going on near 60 years of being married. So it was a very entrenched community, very solid, still is. And, um, and I began a, a journey of earth-based um, exploration, working with elders and traditional plant medicine teachers from all over the world, um, guiding me and and inviting me to heal, remember who I am. And then it eventually led me to meeting Howard and eventually led me to um, a deeper exploration of healing through plant medicine and sound and sharing that with a larger community. So it's been quite a journey, but one that I wouldn't trade for anything. <laughs> My gosh, we need to talk about speaking in tongue, tongues at some point. <laughs> well, I tell um, people, Mike, I'm still speaking in tongues. It's just a totally <laughs> different <laughs> a, a point of view. <laughs> Slightly different context. Yeah. Mm, that's incredible, Ina. Thanks so much. Howard, what's your journey been to get to this incredible place that you're at? Well, it was an intervention that started it. I showed up for a business meeting about two hours late with my partners in the entertainment business. And they introduced me to a gentleman who walked in and asked me a question I hadn't been asked before in the way he had been asked. He had these, I mean, he was a big stump of a guy and he, these clear green eyes. I had never met him before, but there was something about him, even though he had the jailhouse tats around the neck and he looked like he was chiseled from either working out at Gold's Gym or, or at the, in the penitentiary and the tats told me it was the pen. But he asked me how I was doing. And for once, while I was thinking about how to lie to him and tell him how great everything was going, what came out of my mouth was, I'm drinking about a fifth of tequila a day. I'm not doing very well. As a matter of fact, a lot of methamphetamine. I don't want to live. I don't want to die. And he said, you want some help because your, your business partners have arranged a place for you to go. I went to a treatment center. And there, I was introduced to psychedelics. Underground. Uh, underground. Yeah, they had a practitioner that, that they worked with there who worked with plant medicine. And I had my first altered state experience. And that was when my whole life went. It wasn't quite as gentle as, as uh, the question that, that was asked of her, but it, but it did for me turn me in a direction away from what I was doing, which was complete self-destruction to actually seeking a spiritual solution for my problem of addiction. And what I found was it wasn't the substance at all. And when I found, I started to find my way with the plants. I started to find a way of living that eventually led me to seeking a kind of music and creating a kind of music in my business that was more of an uplifting and positive vibration that was led by the plants. And it eventually led me to call in the kind of projects that uh, eventually brought Ina in. It was actually a Kirtan project I was working on. Ina sang at that, on that record. And a few months later, she came to a recording session when we were mixing it, and I was introduced to Ina. And that was it. She walked through the door and I went, oh shit, I'm in trouble. 
I'm in real trouble here. <laughs> I knew I was in real trouble. And it wasn't because she, just because she was beautiful. She hadn't said a word. She just walked through the door and there was something about her presence that went, oh my God, the one is here and I am not ready. What do I do? So, well, we're here to make a record. Right, we're here to make a record. So, and then she sang her first song. And uh, the tears started to run down my face and I knew it was over. It was over. Uh, <laughs> how amazing. And also, you know, what's fascinating, you, your earlier life before this intervention also begins in a religious context, right? Oh, yes. I was raised in a very conservative Jewish home by parents who were raised in a very orthodox home that goes back generation after generation, I think three generations back. It came from Russia, Poland, um, England. Yeah, so, and when they fired my rabbi, I was actually wanting to follow in his footsteps because he had, uh, he just had something about him that kept calling me back. You know, the songs, the melodies haunted my soul from the moment I heard them. And that's what held me and the connection to this man and what he brought and how he engaged me and and totally captivated me with his presence and just with his desire for for teaching in a way that wasn't like teaching. It was more like Rabbi Pollock w would be in a particular way, how he held his reverence for spirit. He wasn't a a quote the book kind of guy. It was it was how he walked and how he carried it. And when he left, I went and this is not for me because without him there was nothing to it to me right and what age are you talking about here when the rabbi got fired six months before my bar mitzvah so it was yeah 12 and a half years old something like that yeah and you're recognizing this what you enjoyed about the the spirituality of the religion and the songs at that at that stage in your life yeah okay incredible we both had we both had that experience mike i grew up singing a lot of the church I went to had two record labels. It was a church, it was a mega church born out of the late 60s, um, you know, the Jesus Freak era. Um, and it was a huge, massive church and there was lo loads of musicians. The music was so powerful. That was really my first introduction to devotional, heart-opening music. So we both have a very shared even though it's so different, there's a lot of similarities about our childhoods and upbringing, especially with sound too. Right, and now this, the work that you do intertwines music, spirituality, um, the ceremony uh, and the medicine. Let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, the most exciting recent stuff is that you've just created this beautiful album called Sono Ceremonia. Am I pronouncing it right? Um, and I've had a listen to it today again, which I, you know, I really, I've really enjoyed listening to it. You, you said earlier um, on today that you had a very different experience recording this one. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> well, you know, with other songs we've done in the past and other albums, um, they've they've each taught us something as we're as we've been creating it. And one of the things when I first met Howard, 
um, that I that I just really resonated with in our working relationship because that's how we started was producer artist um, relationship and Howard has such an incredible way of listening he has a deep listening and and following what the songs wanted to be not necessarily saying okay this is the song this is what it's going to sound like but really allowing the song to guide and we had an experience before with a couple songs that were really teaching us as we were in the process but this experience with the album the whole album every song um, we were in service to the sound and in a way that we had not experienced before meaning we really had to check everything at the door um, and and be as open to to listening and to even scrapping, we had about three songs we thought were scrapped. We had just let put them aside. Um, and Howard can probably talk a little bit more about those. But it was just a very um, beautifully humbling in the sense of just, we just were like, okay, we're here to be of service to this. This is not our project. This is a larger project um, for us personally, larger meaning just really putting ourselves aside at the door and being open to what wanted to come through. And was there an agreement? Did you talk about this beforehand or did you just find yourselves falling into this kind of flow and understanding that from each other? Or would you step into the studio and go, right, this is, we're going to check ourselves at the door. This is all about the music. We are not going to. Well, creating. Yeah. Creating this album was such a different experience. You know, in usually when an artist comes in or I'm working with an artist, Ask them to come in 15 or 20 songs. We'll pick nine or 10 and make the record. See which ones are actually saying we want to be together. This record came from a completely different way because we looked at the arc of the ceremonial experience and tried to paint a canvas that would take us on that journey musically. So we had picked a couple of songs and started to produce them in a way because we were. I was still thinking from this set, what do I want that song to, to be? Instead of going, okay, how does that song fit into the flow of the larger context? Because now it's not a song, three minutes, four minutes, eight minutes, even 12 minutes. It's now a 70 something minute record experience that has to really, and has the opportunity to be painted as a canvas. So there were two songs that we actually were just this close to finishing and went, but they just don't fit. But musically, energetically, they needed to be there. So we <laughs> literally tore them down to nothing. One, so Two of the songs on that record were not originally scheduled to be there. They came out spontaneously. And one of them was going to be the djembe song, okay. which was just going to be a djembe, like, like the experience, right? There's a part where we journey in with the djembe. And we were listening to it and added a little bit of some shaker and some other things. And then we looked at each other and she said, do you think there should be some vocals on this? And well, I went, well, first we had our friend play the didgeridoo. Right, right. And we said, oh, this is so beautiful. The didg, the drum, it's perfect. It sounds so great. And then we were listening to it and I looked at Howard and I said, should we add vocals? I don't know. And Howard, Howard looks at me and said, well, why don't you go into the vocal booth and see what comes out? So I walked in, sat down, we did one pass. He goes, that sounds good. Why don't you do another one? We did a second pass. 
that was it. That was the song. We didn't touch it after that, you know? And I can't even sing the song right now because I've, <laughs> I've only sung it on the recording. Um, so magic happened in that way many times. But I also have to say, too, many of the songs on the album I have been singing going back to my days in the sweat lodge. Um, so I've been singing some of those songs for over 20 years. Some of the songs on the album ha have never been sung before. Um, some of them, you know, were created, but most of the songs we have been singing in ceremony for a long time. So these were really deeply meaningful to us and to those who sit with us in that circle, are, I know are meaningful to them. Um, because it's provides such such a powerful landscape and context, uh, or sorry, container um, for the context of the work. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was a very special and personal album for both of us, and the first album we were on where we sang together. Really, um, after wow. all these years, yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. Well, having experienced you both singing in ceremony myself, and and having had the journey. Um, from beginning to end of, a, you know, a couple of really illuminating evenings. Um, I can say that the, you know, the, the passage and the journey of music is, is a massive part of it for the receiver. And I'm interested to know if you plan that before ceremony as well. Do you have a think in your heads? Let's take these guys on a fruity journey this evening and get get a bit lively in the middle warm them up and then go crazy and then just chill it out no planning no you see you see, you see our heads shaking no no i mean some someone a friend of ours asked us do you guys rehearse you know so we started laughing no we don't rehearse although we've been playing music together for so long both separately and together um that uh, that certainly helps our our listening to one another, but we don't come in with an idea. That's where the plants definitely guide, and and the the more we listen and open to um, what's needed, it's really being in service to the sound. It's not like what I want to sing. That doesn't matter because what I want is not that what I want doesn't matter, but in terms of that's a little more driven by perhaps the personality or what I think is best. When I open to the larger context, presence within me and the presence within the room, the presence meaning source, energy, um, that when I open to that, uh, which is within us all and all of life on this planet, then it's able to connect and reach people in a way that I could never even begin to imagine reaching someone's heart or um, healing and what they were needing. So um, that's where being open to a larger um, sound, a larger purpose becomes the guide and we can really check our egos at the door. <laughs> um, yeah, because when source is driving it, it's, it's not limited. And does that require you to 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 take some medicine to get to that place where you're open to that source? Or is that something that happens now naturally without taking any of the medicine, either of you? It happens naturally. It happens naturally and it can happen naturally for all of us because we are that. 
It's not that we need something to get there. You know, plants, the beauty of the plants in a good context, in a good container, is that they open us up, open up the gates of perception, open us up to being present. And when we're present, we're fully connected to the essence of source, which is, that's all that's here. That's all that's here. And when we get out of the way enough to do that, and open up enough to do that, we can all bring that through. You know, for me, this was, music was my medicine as a kid with my depression and my anxiety from the time I was eight, it just started to come through. Besides singing from the synagogue, I started to pick up and learning to play instruments that were around because I needed it. And so my whole life has been about really learning about how music can do that, about how music can open us up. And the more we do open that up, the more it brings other people into it too. Because words don't do it as well as sound. You know, a really great lyric can do so much. But a piece of music can crack it all the way open. Oh, that's heartbreaking for a writer to hear, but thanks for sharing it anyway. <laughs> no, I think I think words are an important part of it because the music, when... Have you ever watched a film without sound or without music? Yeah, it's so weird. Right. So music with words... And this is this was an awakening that I had right before I met Ina. I was working in a lot of music areas and genres. It was really dark, really heavy, really oppressive. Um, and there was an awakening that said, look, music opens people up so deeply to the message that it's really important to be mindful and stewarding a message with the music. And I had to drop most of what I was doing and switch to just uplifting, inspiring music. Started working on Kirtan and singer-songwriter. and then, But it was the, the message that music has a powerful um, force to open people. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, um, not only in ceremony, but in, in life and the journey that we've all been here we are in. The early, well, we're in January 2021 and uh, experience that pretty much the whole world has gone through over the last year or so has certainly taught me that the messages that you get from your mind, uh, the thinking part of us versus the feeling part of us um, have to be very well balanced. And a lot of the time what your mind is telling you may not have the correct it might not be the correct tool to be using at the time and one of the things in your um description ina of uh of uh, medicine and music you you've spoken about um seeing acoustical structures that are revealed to you through the medicine could you talk a little bit about that please because it sounds so fascinating <laughs> yeah well it is so fascinating to me too um i i i would like to say that in ceremonial work in the studio even um i am amazed by what 
is happening by what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing come out of my mouth. And I know that may sound funny on the outset, but what I mean by that is I'm just as much of a participant and a listener when it's happening um, as anyone else is. And I'm, I'm listening to it going, wow, what is this? I'm, I don't even know what I'm, what's happening to my mouth right now or the sounds coming out of me. Really? Um, so you feel separate yeah. from yourself? So you're able no, to- No, not separate. Not necessarily separate, just I'm observing and I guess the observer is also listening. Um, I'm not thinking when that's happening. So I think I mentioned this literally two days ago. I was reading a book with our son about bats and they use echolocation for mapping in the night. And I just about fell off my chair because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm a bat. <laughs> Bat because, uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, we work in the dark or have in, in uh, the previous um, times than this. And um, and I always tease and joke with people and say, don't turn on the lights. I can't see. Um, so I, I really can see in the dark. And what helps me see in the dark is sound. When I sing, there's all of this imagery that comes and I can see it's it's like a almost like a Disney film or something where you you sing and sort of all this illustration comes um, and it's so beautiful to me and um, and the sound is communicating such beauty such wisdom insight healing without as we were speaking earlier of words per se um, and so those acoustical halls as I call them it's like they're temples of sound that are as infinite as the cosmos truly there are just it's this place of within us all really of of source creation and it's just this place of abundance just a continual offering of there's um thousands and thousands millions infinite songs ready to be sung and it's like um uh Sarasvati, you know, sitting on the on the lotus and just the petals just keep thousands of petals coming. And and it's such a beautiful and wonderful and um, incredibly honoring uh, or, or it's an honor to be kind of in that stream. Uh, and it's one of my most favorite places to be. And it's a place I feel I trust in terms of connect with the most because it's not in the place of the mind communicating about identity, personality, cultural ideologies, uh, you know, our conditioning, our past, our fears, our future. It's, it's, it's all of that is there, but there's so much more that's available to the experience of being awake. And so I, I guess that's why I love that place so much because my mind shuts up for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> And I could just relax and and, and, and be. listen, <laughs> yeah, and be, yeah. The beauty of weaving the sound is is and watching her weave sound, watching it, watching her weave it. Mm. She's a she's a master at weaving the tapestry of sound. And the hummingbird, where did this whole sound, crazy sound, come from? Is that anything to do with the speaking in tongues? <laughs> You know, that's a, that's probably a, a a topic for a whole nother podcast in terms of speaking in tongues, Mike. But okay, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think you know, I've 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 
meditated on that often or contemplated rather on that in terms of speaking in tongues. What was that? What was I doing? You know, um, I, I, I don't know. To be honest, I really don't. I think it's it's part of the collect being in a collective environment, being in a mindset, being in uh, belief systems, being in uh, influenced. But the hummingbird, uh, you know, the hummingbird has so much meaning. I I had my first encounter with the medicine of a hummingbird um, in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, in New Mexico, fifteen thousand feet elevation. I was doing a vision quest for four days four nights no food no water and you sit in one place with your prayer prayer uh bundles 100 and i don't remember now oh gosh 108 140 i don't want to say the number because i don't remember it so it's a sacred number too so i don't want to botch it up <laughs> but all um, bundles of prayers is this prayers of tobacco there's there's all the colors of the four directions within the lakota tradition and you put your you put tobacco within each prayer bundle you tie it up and you make a certain number of i've only done four of them so my this is what happens when you have a child you lose your mind <laughs> so um <laughs> anyway so out of no disrespect but anyway you put you put your prayer mm -hmm. ties around you you go into the circle and you don't leave for four days yeah for four days and four nights and you just have a blanket um, I didn't have a pillow. I didn't have a sleeping bag. 15,000 feet elevation. It was quite high. And I had an encounter with a hummingbird there that was was out, was otherworldly. And when I came down, we, they call it going up the hill and coming down the hill is sort of how they re reference doing a vision quest. And when I came down the hill on the fourth day and I spoke to um, a Muscogee medicine man, he was 80 something at the time, a uh, really beautiful man named Marcellus Bearheart, and one of the last of the traditional uh, roadmen. And he, he gave me this name in Muskogee, uh, this very long name. And it was basically in reference to um, what I experienced. Well, I was living in France at the time, so I condensed that whole name down to Colibri, because Colibri, of course, in French is hummingbird. And then I just kind of tucked it away. And then in the medicine, when the medicine came into my life and, and Howard, um, the hummingbird came really strong. And there's a, the, as part of the Peruvian cosmology, there's the anaconda snake that, that goes on the belly on the earth. There's the, the, um, the jaguar that walks upon the anaconda, walks upon the earth above the ground. And then there's the condor that sits upon the jaguar, the otorongo, uh, and he and the condor can only fly so high. And then the hummingbird sits on top of the condor, and the condor ra raises the hummingbird as high as it can go. And then the hummingbird shoots straight to source, straight to the heavens. Wow. And so they all work together. Um, but the hummingbird, this this tiny, you know, very small <laughs> bird. But she can fly up, down, front, back, over and around. <laughs> and, um, and so it, it kind of became clear to me that the hummingbird uh, was this ally and had come to drop her nectar into my life and, and be a guide, be a teacher. You know, all of nature is a teacher. And, um, and the hummingbird has been a profound teacher for me since that, since that encounter 
and beyond. So Incredible. among many other, many other beings. <laughs> Amazing. And the sound, the singing that you do in ceremony, that's that incredible sound that you make, the sort of otherworldly singing. Where did that, did, was that a discovery um, in ceremony or was that, uh, I don't know how to describe it to the people who are listening. It's it's an incredible kind of, uh, how would we describe it? You guys might be able to say the words better than I. An acoustic laser. <laughs> <laughs> For lack go. of a better way of describing it, that cuts through the bullshit very, very well. A high-pitched kind of st uh, staccato. It's a, keen, it's a keening, a vibrato, staccato, and it cuts through. Like a, it, it, it's an acoustic saber, like a lightsaber, but it, but with sound, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite fascinating to watch, to watch oh, yeah. her build it, like a like a reaction that's building, and then cut with it. It's crazy powerful. Uh, where did it come from? Do you know, or when did it appear to you? Um, you know, it, it's sort of an organic process right certainly i had never sung that way before until i'm i was introduced to and began to work with plant medicine uh and even early on in in plant medicine work both um before i met howard i wasn't imbibing plant medicine but i was definitely working with plants as medicine especially in the lodge and singing medicine songs they were traditional earth-based uh songs from different lineages so that was a lot of a training ground for me. And then certainly, of course, my childhood upbringing of singing all these songs and, and speaking in tongues, you know, I didn't do it a lot. I don't want to say I was doing it all the time, but um, it was happening in, in different healing rooms in the church I grew up in. But I was really fascinated by those rooms at seven, eight, nine years old. I mean, what seven, eight, nine-year-old is in <laughs> those healing rooms uh, putting ha hands on people, adults, you know? <laughs> Okay. What is a healing room? I don't. I don't think I'm aware of that. Se separate <laughs> I don't rooms, even know. right? Well, you know, they they do gatherings. They'll do church meetings or, okay. or studies, and then right. they called it in my in the church I was raised in. They called it the afterglow. Okay. And I loved the afterglow because there were these dark, low lit rooms where people just sang these devotional songs, and there was all this emotion and connection and deep prayerful singing it was beautiful truly i mean i it was it was my introduction to devotional music um but then in those spaces people would say i need help with and then someone would come over and say well i can lay hands on you or i'm gonna speak um a, a prophecy i mean it, it got kind of out there um but definitely you know based in some of the um evangelical uh, texts and 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 New Testament texts, they, they follow some of those traditions. So that was some of the basis. And I, I really was only allowed to listen to religious music growing up. Howard and I have such a different, um, <laughs> Howard's introduced me to, you know, um, the dark side of the moon, you know, <laughs> all these years later, it was like, where was I? Um, but, you know, in getting back to the medicine and the sound, there was a particular ceremony that I recall. This was after I had spent a lot of time in the jungle. Uh, working with different plants and doing what is called a plant dieta, um, where you just drink one plant uh, every day for a number of days. 
And I had come back to the States after being in the jungle for about a month. And, um, and I was in a ceremony and I was in a ceremony of, of someone else at the time. It was, uh, the student of the shaman that I was sitting with in the jungle. And this shaman that I was with in the jungle, he was sort of the shaman to the shamans. He was, um, he would, he would help train other shamans within his region, um, and within, within the country really. And, uh, and so when I came back, I sat with his student and during the ceremony, now, as you know, you've sat in ceremonies. This was very unusual, but I was in my process. I was in this point, journey, point in my journey where um, there had been some uh, challenges around how people were trained. You're supposed to do it like this. You have to sit with the medicine for this long. You have to do it like these teachers. You have to, and I, I rail against that because of my upbringing and all the healing that I've done to get out of authoritarian and dominion dominator oppressive <laughs> approaches, um, that I was, I was getting a little scratchy around that. And during the ceremony, and, uh, you know, before I had taken medicine, I never even imagined I would say something like what I'm about to say. But the plants said to me, <laughs> Ina, open your mouth. Wow. And I, and I thought, well, this is not my ceremony. I, like, I don't, what, what are you saying? You know, open your mouth. How did the shamans learn the songs? How did the original shaman, so to speak, learn the song? They were asking and they said before i could answer we taught them we taught them we're teaching you now open your mouth <laughs> so clear the cotton out of your ears because she did say the plants spoke yes and they do yes and so i opened my mouth and the medicine guide of that ceremony was singing and i had never heard these songs before mind you they were he was singing in shipibo at the time and i opened my mouth and i started singing word for word every inflection every tone every every sound for the rest of the ceremony like at like three hours wow singing <laughs> and me. they were shaping my mouth and t my tongue and it was they were teaching me how to sing in this way um and then afterwards there was a kerfuffle that happened and I ended up not, we ended up, it's a long story, but anyway, we, from that point, we ended up making our own medicine and going on our own journey with the work, but I never sung those words again. I never sung that language again, but my mouth and my ears and my mind had been opened. And then from then on, it was like, what's going to come out now? And you know who's the the the, the pianist uh, Keith Jarrett who sits down at the piano and says, "I don't know what's going to happen. Let's let's see." Um, I love that. I, I don't know how the Rolling Stones sing "Start Me Up" for <laughs> seventy years. God bless them. They do it so amazingly every time. Like it's the first time. I am not that person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The difference is now they can't always remember the words. Yeah, exactly. Well, they can't always get what they want. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in, in that discovery um, it, and the plant speaking with you, uh, Howard, 
for you, um, are there standout discoveries or experiences that, or transformational experience either you've had or that you've witnessed in ceremony that, you know, that you think that changes everything for me, you know, or I, or you, or you witnessed seeing somebody else going through that kind of transformation. Or is that oh every gosh, time? Every time there's something that says, wow, that changes everything. Sometimes they're reminders. Um, one of them is that there's just source, the real recognition and, and, and that we're all indigenous, even though we haven't practiced, we haven't grown up that connected to it. Being of the earth actually means that we can cultivate that connection. It's not something that you have to be raised in, but it's something that you have to connect with, to truly connect that we have that power to connect with life, other creatures, other beings, whether it's connecting with the spirit of an animal or listening to a plant tell you how to sing or feeling it actually guide you. You know, there was a moment during one of the ceremonies where I'm listening to this singing and I think, is Ina singing? And I realize it's my voice. That, that the human voice has such range and versatility and also seeing sound and its influence in creating these weaving structures that actually bend space, bend time. It's, it's, it goes on and on and on um, to open places within ourselves that are stuck, places where we're hiding. Um, how we've created the masks of our ego that kick our ass in the world, that actually... <laughs> We have the power to deconstruct them. I mean, there's so many layers to what's been learned. And it just continues because there's so much disillusion, illusion, delusion that we have about what is life. What does it mean? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Most of our suffering does not come from living, but it comes from the structures we created to think we can get one up on life. Right. And you talk about divinity. Divinity is a, you say we have a natural divinity. Can you, can you talk to that a little bit? Explain what that means to you? You know, as a hardcore scientist for me, um, when I left religion, I sought science to answer the questions where we come from because religion wasn't answering it. It was giving me a bunch of stories that I knew weren't fact. And I also knew there was a whole oral tradition around our ancient Hebraic stories that says that none of them are fact. But, but what it, it really led me to understand is that through science, the farther we dig, the deeper we get. This is why physics becomes metaphysics, becomes theoretical physics. Because it's a suspicion, but the fact is that the farther we dig into matter, the less we find anything solid. And the fact is, the only thing that's there is energy. That's why Hawking, Einstein, and Sagan were on my list of people I would love to have a conversation with, mainly because these were very spiritual men. Einstein is quoted as saying, God does not play dice with the universe when asked about the unified field theory, because they said, maybe it doesn't exist. And he said, God does not play dice with the universe for one reason. Because so far, the farther we dig into it, the simpler we see it all is. It's magnificently elegant in how it operates, but actually, there's a few things going on underneath it all. But at the very core of it is just energy, energy being source. And if the origin of everything is divinity, then 
in the formless realm, in the timeless realm of essence that it all came from, there's just source, which means everything you see is actually just one aspect, one little wick of a flame from a larger pool of oil. That is you and me and the rocks and stones and the sky and the air. And it's all an emanation of source. That's divinity. That's, that's at the essence of you. That's at the essence of me. So the divinity is the is the the source itself, the origin. Okay, so we're all come from the same origin. And right. There's a great quote, and I'm sorry I don't remember the minister's name, but he said, "Look, you can look at all of existence, source, as this incredible well of oil, and you drop one wick and light the end of the wick in that oil lamp, and that represents one little light in the fabric of it all, like you, like me." And there could be a, a bazillion wicks, and each one is going to provide light, but it's going to provide light in uniquely its own way. So that's how I tend to look at the source as that oil, because the, the chi that flows through us, that gives us the grace to breathe and our heart to beat, originates from there. That is the essence underneath. In, in the Hebraic tradition, we say, Eloheinu melech olam, the source of our many powers, the master of the hidden, olam means hidden, hidden in everything is the essence of that source. And that's divinity. It can't be anything else. What else could it be? Incredible. It's so interesting how you both have such a, um, a deep connection to your, to your very early um, upbringings and yet you've progressed so far beyond it but when you when I think of the way that you manage your ceremony and 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 the community and the the level of trust um respect and safety that people feel um to come into that circle is I would say a circle of trust um and it seems to come from this um pure intention purpose integrity um respect for all people and all living things it's a, a very powerful and clear sense of trust and i know that i know that part of the work that you're interested in doing is is helping people who've you know come across less trustworthy guides or guides who've not managed to reintegrate people can you talk a little bit about that i think you know mike I, thank you so much for that reflection by the way i know it it causes howard and my heart to sing when we hear that people feel safe and and in a place of trust and um and that they can let their guard down you know i think i know howard and i our story individually and together we have lived through a lot of trauma and uh, abuse and in violation as many people have and throughout our healing and exploration of awakening uh, we we have come to recognize that within our own healing there needs to be safety you cannot heal trauma in a traumatic environment you just cannot it's it's impossible so um, and we've experienced that trauma perpetuated in ceremonial containers before we met each other and while we were together in other groups not just medicine but in other contexts um, 
as we're seeing as Americans right now, coming out of this four-year oppression, I had no idea that when one transfer of an administration to another, just the tone of a voice of a leader, the tone of intention, the tone of direction could create such an opening for an, a deep exhalation and, a, and an understanding that we've all been under the rule of abuse and toxicity. So we cannot, as a collective and as a community, support healing, awakening, and evolution on this planet unless we provide compassion, safety, empathy, listening, um, uh, opportunity for sharing stories, reflection. And that's something that's so deep within our hearts, both for our own evolution and awakening and to share that and create an environment for others. You know, we have never introduced ourselves as healers <laughs> or shamans for that matter, you know, a lot. No, and, no, and, and part don't. of that comes for me from so many indigenous elders that I've studied with, walked with, learned from, listened to, um, that they were not identifying themselves as that either um, or attached to a name uh, as who they are, that they lived what they taught and they lived what they listened to and they communicated and passed on what was given to them. And so that was such a modeling for me um, that I was also in, encouraged to come and listen before I speak. Um, I was encouraged when I was learning and walking with some of these elders from all over the world. And so they, they created in me a desire to want to pass on that same thing. And so both in our community, our medicine circles, when we sing live, um, we, we, our intention is to create a container where people can come in, put down their suffering, and open to presence, open to the deeper consciousness that goes beyond the personality, the mind, the ego, the ego as in the false self. And that's a burden that we all carry to some degree or another and as far as how deep we are in that suffering. So that's a real um, passion for us and for many reasons based on our own, as I said earlier, our own trauma and, and suffering as children up until now. Um, that brings us so much joy is to see Oh, lights go on and people and say, you mean I, as Dorothy said, you mean I've had the power all along? Just click my heels three times? Yes, we <laughs> all have the power all along, but sometimes we have to go through, you know, meet friends along the way and <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, and what's so fascinating, obviously, you've discovered this year that, you know, the medicine is, is the... Uh, is, is not the destination, it is the doorway. And you're taking people on a different kind of journey with everybody being remote for the last 10 months. You know, it's not so. been, <clears throat> it's not been a, uh, a secret for us or from us that the medicine is the eyes to see where the healing is needed. 
and that it's not the medicine that does the healing. It's actually our own work and that we've learned new ways to work with our consciousness, with our mind, with our ego, to cultivate the observer of us, which is us, the observer. You know, the one you get to in the medicine space when it, the hurly-burly ends and there's just the presence. I am. Stillness. Stillness, peace, clarity. We can get there in the natural state of consciousness, in the normal state of consciousness. Because we are connected to that altered state of consciousness. We are that altered state. It's really not an altered state of consciousness. That sense of being, quote, disembodied in the no mind place is not an abnormal state of consciousness. It's where consciousness exists. It's the incorporated, incarnated experience that is the altered state, actually. This is the illusion, the illusion that we exist in a physical form. This is temporary. But the consciousness that is and, and came so, from divine essence is eternal. You, me, that's the truth. Amazing. And, and, and now that your practice is more remote and that you're working with a growing community in different parts of the world, what are some of the methods or some of the practices or ceremonies that are that you're finding that you're able to share with people that that help them find this you know i think we are organically exploring that as we speak even now um one of the things that we before covid came uh or manifested more largely to the public we had been talking about transitioning from being on the road with our work to maybe doing half and half, sort of being online half the time and being in person half the time because um, we've been traveling minstrels and medicine folks for uh, many years, <laughs> over a dozen years together and almost 20 years in total. So we've been on this for many, many years. and. It, it can be wearisome. And now that we have our four-year-old son, you know, I, I was traveling with 17 bags of milk on the plane, you know, with all of our gear. It was like, oh my goodness, this is, I don't know if this is sustainable. Um, so then when we, we were looking to do that and we just couldn't get off the, the travel and work wheel. And when COVID came, it was actually such a, a blessing for us. Um, of course, it's, it has had such an impact around the world and people have lost loved ones and, and jobs and homes. And I don't mean to minimize that in any way, but just to say that how it was affecting us um, was that it was giving us a time to stop and pause and reflect and listen and take a risk, take a, take a step. Uh, if you had asked either one of us this time last year, you're going to be on Zoom, teaching, <laughs> um, <laughs> and offering courses, we would have <laughs> laughed. We would have balked at the idea because no way. And so um, this last year, we've been teaching some um, workshop courses, you know, about source, about um, what keeps us from living in our awakened state and and what contributes to the distractions and 
the suffering and the oppression and the occlusion of connecting to source because we couldn't do medicine. We chose not to do medicine this year for safety, for travel, and actually for many reasons. And, and what we began to discover daily, sometimes hourly, was we are in life is a ceremony. Life is the medicine. <laughs> Life is the guru, if you want to use that word. Life is the guide. And if you're paying attention, if you're awake to it, life can be as potent as a ceremony in any given moment. I'm not talking about altered state, hallucinogenic, because truly, even in medicine, that is not the end goal. We often say this as a joke that we're not here to trip the light fantastic. It's lovely to do, it's beautiful, it's incredible, <laughs> but in the end, uh, what are you learning from it? What's the takeaway? What's the healing? What's the integration? And, and that's what we're applying to our work moving forward and through different modalities. Yeah. you know. How to keep the work alive is one of the things that has been a constant theme, right? Because, you know, one of the things that's different about our work is that we, we follow up with integration with people. And often we hear people say, you know, gosh, for the last three months, six months, a year, whatever, it's been fabulous. And then it started to fade. What was fading? What was fading? What kept fading? And then we got to see it. We got to see what it was. It's a connection to being present. It's falling back into our old patterns. It's not having a practice that keeps us present with what we've learned. It's thinking that something outside of us is going to fix us when actually what the medicine is doing is she's showing us where we're stuck. She's peeling away the blinders from our own egoic issues, from our own conditioning, from our own misguided false beliefs and ideologies. And so it's up to us to practice being present with making new decisions than just being reactive or continuing to do what we've always done. Because as a human being or any other creature, we'll do what we've always done until, like I did with addiction, I had to run straight first into a wall and realize I was in enough pain to want to do something different. Otherwise, people just keep coming back. Right. So this is a way of helping people rather than keep coming back for a ceremony to journey into themselves. You once said to me, once you get the message, you don't need to come back for the message again. Alan Watts said that. Once you get the message of psychedelics, you can hang up the phone. Because even a, even a scientist doesn't sit with their eye on the microscope all day, all week. They take what they see and they take it into life and they learn from it. Yeah. And then they may go back for, and they may go back for another exploration. They may not need to. Right. And so if people want to discover this, it's um it's the the website we'll we'll put this on the notes, but it's kialarafana.com, right? Yes. Or inaandhoward.com. Or inaandhoward.com. And and people are welcome to come and explore the website. It's it's open for people to find out what you do and where yeah, it all absolutely. comes from. 
superb. You know, I would love to talk to you for another five hours. Um, and I think this is the beginning of a few conversations rather than the end of one. I'm going to wrap it up now. And uh, we talked about being able to play the listeners a part of um, your new album. Can you tell us what we'll, we'll play, play out to? Uh, which which of the songs on the album we should play out to? What do you want to use? Um, well, why don't we sing? Let's do djembe ceremony. Do that one. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to fast forward a little bit into the song. So this song is called djembe ceremony. It's a song we spoke about with the djembe and the didgeridoo, with the added um, vocals. So. Not sure where I'm going to start playing it, but I'm just going to see what happens. And I don't know how much time we have, but I'll just play what. Well, Mike will get a real recording in there anyway. Okay. All right. I'll do that. But I'll, all that remains is to say, Howard, Ina, Ina, Howard, never stop. You never stop inspiring us. Um, I'm so grateful to have this conversation. And I cannot wait to have the next one. Thanks so much for giving us your precious time today. Oh. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We love you. Thank you, Mike. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. The greatest love to you guys. And let's hear a wee bit love of that you. tune. Okay. <laughs>
Sounds Like is a podcast brought to you by the horse's mouth. Sound-loving, brand-building, conversation-starting audio evangelists on a mission to help brands build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, their teams, fans, and customers. Thanks to our amazing audio producer, Alex Kenning, tech and everything in between, Jez Gooden. The show's theme music was written and produced by the magnificent Will Flisk, Advisors to the Horse's Mouth on all things marketing and content, Elliot Hu and Steve Keeney. And I'm Mike Benson. Thanks for listening. Find us at thehorsesmouth.co or wherever you listen to podcasts. The world's listening. Start the conversation.